Do you ever find it frustrating trying to capture pin-sharp photos of your pets or even birds in your garden? If so, we have the course for you. iPhotography has an incredible wildlife photography course presented by renowned professional wildlife photographer Rachel Sinclair. This course covers everything, and I mean everything, from what kit to buy, how to edit your photos, how to even plan your own safari. Everything from bird to beast we have covered in this wonderful wildlife course. If you'd like to learn more, go to iPhotography.com forward slash podcast for your super cool listener discount. So hello, welcome along to another iPhotography podcast. Thank you very much for tuning into this week's episode. You've got Stephen and as you can see, or here, as you will in a second, because this is also being recorded for YouTube as well as a podcast, uh, we've got our resident wildlife photographer, Rachel, with us this evening. How are you doing? Hi. Hi, everyone. I'm good, thanks. Good, good, good. So again, thank you so much for sticking along and listening to another episode of the iPhotography podcast. And today we're going to get right into it and we're talking about what you need in a camera uh, which can sound kind of really kind of generic to some degree. And we, we just, as we discussed enough, uh, this is not a discussion of us telling you what camera, what model, you know, what, what make and brand, et cetera, that you're going to need, you know, because things like that, they change so quickly, don't they, Rachel? Yeah, they do. They do change quickly. And they, they work differently as well. So they're not always going to suit the same person. Yeah, 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 you're totally right. Horses for courses. So I thought we'd go down the route of looking at camera features, things that you will find on different cameras. They may be named slightly differently or operate ever so slightly differently. Um, but, you know, the technology is, is there across pretty much all the main brands. And it's those kind of features um, that you should be looking for or we think you should be looking for. Um, you know, in your next camera decision, or at least, you know, something you should consider if you're upgrading and what to watch out for, really. So, yeah, we've got, what, maybe about six or seven different things uh, that we thought were kind of quite useful bits of technology. Um, so I figure off we just kind of jump in straight into the list and kind of crack on with it, if you're okay. Yeah, let's go for it. Right. The first one I've got, I've just written down as IBIS. So some people call it IBIS, some people say IBIS, and some people just call it the proper name, which is Inbuilt Image Stabilization. Um, have you heard different names for it? Is there anything else that um, goes by? I think we just call it IS, because there's IS. not another IS, maybe. Yeah. I don't know, but it just I, makes it a bit shorter. <laughs> is, is, now, is it different in the sense that IBIS, just for people who are looking at this kind of completely greenly, um, they may not know. So IBIS, I would say, obviously, is image stabilization, but in the camera, whereas IS or VR, I think in uh, Nikon, yeah. it's VR, isn't it? V yeah, yeah. Uh, vibration reduction. Are they for lenses and the IBIS is for the body? Is that how think, they would market it? I think it? technically you are right. I think that is yeah. how it's marketed, yeah. It, something like i mean i think ultimately the, the the crux of what they are is is basically the the technology of how the camera or the lens in whichever situation you're looking at stabilizes the photograph um so inbuilt image stabilization is, is a newer technology uh working with digital sensors that if for some reason your camera moves ever so slightly during the exposure um the there is basically uh I, I'm trying to think of like how the technology is, but there's some sort of mechanism on the back of the sensor that moves the sensor in the opposite direction to the direction of movement. So it compensates and um, without making this <laughs> too complicated, it stabilizes <laughs> the motion that's going on, compensates for it. So hopefully you're still listening and you're keeping up with us, but that's effectively what it does. It, it works on the motion uh, of these little electrical 
actuators I read um, and it picks up any little bits of movement and compensates for it, trying to keep your image as still as possible. Um, do you look for something like this in a, in a camera, Rachel? Do you ever kind of get bothered by it or do you think it's actually very, very useful? Um, I do think it is very useful, especially if you're shooting in a lot of conditions where the light isn't that great and you could do with um, using a slower shutter speed than maybe you would if you didn't have um, the inbuilt image stabilization. So yeah, it can be really useful. I think um, a lot of people might not even really know that it's there. Mm -hmm. For a lot of people that have these cameras, they probably don't even realize what it does. Yeah. But, um, I know when I've taken pictures like in a forest or um, something quite dark, I've been able to get down to around one, one, two, five. So oh, wow. really I should have been able to, I should have stopped at around one sixtieth, but I've been able to go a good full stop, nearly two stops under that, but just by yeah. using the image stabilization. So yeah, I think, and I think they're getting really good as well. In some cases they're excellent. They are, I must say, I know we're both kind of big fans of, uh, of Sony cameras, a lot of the Sony Alphas, yeah. and I, I found they've really hammered the, that kind of IBIS kind of market. Yeah. I mean, the camera I have doesn't actually have it, but the ones I've been looking at, um, like the the AR7s, uh, that kind of range, they, they really yeah. pride themselves on it. And apparently the image quality, provide, I'm not saying providing, but if you also then um complement it with a lens that has image stabilization as well you're basically getting you know double double the bang for it really aren't you yeah yeah exactly um and i mean it, i wouldn't say it's something you should rely on i don't think it's a good idea to um you know make your photography in the style that you always need it but i think it's really good for when you're in a situation where you do need it if you know what i mean i don't think you should yeah. be lazy and rely on it but I think oh, yeah. when it when I have used it and I haven't really had much of a choice because I wouldn't have got the image otherwise, yeah. I found it really useful. Yeah, really good. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I think you've you've got to use the tools that are your, at your disposal. Um, yeah, say you've got them, use them. That's what you've paid good money for. Um, but yeah, yeah, totally right. If you can still capture a, a sharp image, you know, without having to to go to the technology, then it, it just improves your own skills really. But um yeah, yeah I think that's it's a good point to start off with really as well. So yeah, if you ever look in, you know, at new camera bodies, um inbuilt image stabilization is uh, is a godsend certainly like you've totally said in situations of low light. Is there any kind of other situations that you found you'd you'd kind of want to use it or think it would be very useful? Um are we just sticking with the camera bodies or are we talking about the lenses as well? Because I find them quite useful. Well, yeah, why not? Whilst, whilst we're on it, I suppose, you know, if it's it, it's kind of hitting yeah. both sides of the coin, really. But yeah. So I find with the lenses, if they have it, so that could be called vibration reduction, as you said, or um, image stabilisation. Um, that can help you um, when you're hand holding the camera um, yeah. and moving it around quite a lot. That's quite good. Um, and again, you can maybe get one or two stops more light in than you would be able to if you didn't have that on. Um, yeah. Just a note on that, though, some cameras, particularly the older ones, if you put them on the tripod, you have to remember to turn it off because sometimes it can mess your, um, the way the camera works. It messes it up a bit. Um, yeah. But I know that a lot of the newer ones now have some sort of technology where they they know that it's on a tripod so wow. that's really cool as well yeah so it knows that it's actually stable so it turns itself off that's um, crazy yeah that's pretty cool 
Um, but so as I would say probably if you're a landscape photographer, it's probably not really going to be of much use to you because yeah. you're always using a tripod. But um, yeah. for many, many other things, it is really useful. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. It sounds like it's if you if you handhold a lot, you know, if you're moving and shooting, moving and shooting, you're on the go, you know, street photography, you know, candid portraits, yeah. etc. I can see how it would appeal to the mass market, you know, just for taking, you know, family photographs and pictures of kids, but that could be very, yeah. very useful. Uh, right. So the next point I had was about sensor technology. So just different types of sensors. We're not going to get into the nitty gritty of how sensors work. That's for another day. You know, when yeah. we've got the, the mental capacity to talk about that. But effectively, <laughs> with cameras, I suppose pretty much nowadays it's down to maybe like three, two to three different types of sensors in terms of size. Um, so if you're not familiar with this mm -hmm. at all, if, if sensor technology is completely brand new to you and you're listening to this, um, you, you've kind of got two different types of sensors, uh, what we call a CCD, um, which aren't really used that much in digital cameras these days. They're, they used to be reserved a lot more for, for like, I'd say film cameras, but like digital video cameras. Um, at least again, when I was back in university, they were using them then. Um, but CMOS sensors uh, are kind of what Pretty much what we're used to these days and within that cmos yeah. type of sensors there's well, maybe like kind of again three maybe three or four different types of sensors you've got full frame um then aps well APS-H and APS-C are very similar um they're only ever so slightly different from what i know is that they though the uh, the APS-H differs from brand to brand um, ever so slightly in terms of the dimensions, whereas APS-C, I think, is pretty much concurrent throughout. Uh, and then you go down to things like uh, micro four thirds, which is, is like kind of half the size, pretty much, you know, it, it's, it's like a crop factor of two. But basically, um, I'm obviously, I'm sure you know them, Rachel, as well. Your full frame is pretty much your, your best option you'd, you'd be able to kind of get for, wouldn't it? It's pretty much as close as you can to like all 35 millimeter film. Yeah, exactly. It's the biggest sensor you can get without going into a medium format camera. Um, so if you need lots of information in your photos, um, if you're shooting in lots of low light conditions and maybe you want to print things really big, then you're going to be looking at a full frame sensor. Um, but obviously you're paying for that as well so it depends on I was the just gonna say yeah there, there is an element yeah obviously the, the the better like you have with anything any camera obviously you're going to pay for it but APS-C you know that that kind of standard you know market standard they're, they're pretty good aren't they yeah and I think they've got a lot better recently as well um they're getting more megapixels on onto the chips um I think if you were starting out, then definitely you'd be more than um, happy with an APS-C sensor to begin with. And, and to be honest, you might even want to stay on it. I know, I know quite mm -hmm. a lot of pros that, that use them um, for various reasons. So it's not it's not always the best thing um, that you need. It might just be that it suits your style of photography and it suits the way that you want to maybe just present your work if maybe if all you're doing yeah. is putting it on Instagram and Facebook and you're never going to print out a massive um, frame for the wall yeah you don't need a full frame really do you so 
no yeah, no you're, you're totally right it is if you know exactly your direction and your uh you know your end game with photography that as you say it's just for just for fun then yeah kind of yeah. keep with a, a smaller camera you know a smaller sensor lower your cost you can save your money and put it into better lenses as well um just i'm yeah. going to take two seconds just to correct myself because reading my notes i've got it backwards where i said APS-H um may have slight variations brand to brand it's APS-C sensors that may have slight variations in dimensions APS-H um is basically concurrent really so yeah just before we get yeah. any complaints <laughs> And um, I think that's only on. Am I right in thinking it's only Canon that use that? I and mean, maybe like I don't think, think it's it's very that. rare. You're right. It's yeah. um, it's yeah. It's basically it's like a slightly high definition version, like where you'd have JPEGs are like normal and fine. They're pretty much the same yeah. thing, but just a slightly better quality. Um, with um, I think the H stands for high def, and the C in APS-C is classic. So the yeah, the ever so slightly smaller, but yeah. maybe not that noticeable really anyway but um i don't think you're gonna find many of the new cameras with it in any way to be honest i haven't seen it for a while you're right i i very rarely even in researching this it was hard to find there was a few fujis um that had the aps-h um but yeah i but i think it was an old one as well it's one that caught my Mm. eye because it also had ibis in it as well and i was like oh quite like the look of it but it is quite an old camera um Mm. but yeah i i wouldn't be surprised if the market kind of narrows so you know the center manufacturers don't have to make so many different types you yeah. just have your full frames and your APS-Cs etc but but yeah I, you're right it, it, it does just as good a job anyway so I don't think you need to go hunting for that slightly better one anyway no. <laughs> um, this is one thing though that we um that we think we I say I live by anyway I don't know about you your tilting screen your articulating screen do you have one I do have one um yeah I love it for mm-hmm. when, if anybody doesn't know, I'm a wildlife photographer. So if I'm in a hide, I do love to use that screen because sometimes I'm in a bit of an unconventional position <laughs> and it just <laughs> helps me to just see what's going on without breaking my neck. So that's really <laughs> cool. Um, the only thing I would say is that if you're into vlogging or you really want to do selfies and stuff, then you really want to get one with one that flips all the way out. Mine doesn't. Yeah. It only flips at the back. I can't. I can't turn it all the way around. Um, and I think that is that is a little bit of a downside to, yeah. to some of them. But yeah, definitely, I think they're definitely worth having. And also, if you even if you don't ever use it for like taking the shots, it's really good to be able to tilt it when you're looking. Like if you want to zoom in and make sure that you've got the focus right Mm. just by tilting it can help you get a better um picture you know it's like this really sunny and bright yeah yeah just it just helps you to be able to see it a bit better as well so yeah Yeah. i think they're definitely worth having in my opinion (laughs) yeah no i i fully agree because yeah on the basis of uh, avoiding light that's coming from behind you trying to see it you know sometimes it, it just pales out and you you can't see anything full of no money so I, I find it's really, really useful for that side. The only downside I've ever seen it is when it's also touch screen and you're trying to move yes. it and you're moving. Oh, that's oh, really annoying. Straighten yeah. the hell out of me as well. So I'm just like, no. <laughs> so my camera doesn't have it, but I would like it to have had the the fully flip out, like the 360, but it, yeah. it's just on the Sony, it just pretty much just lays it flat to like 90 degrees yeah, it and it doesn't go upwards. But I, I think I find it useful for getting down low because I have sometimes mm-hmm. a bit of trouble with my knees, you know, that I don't, 
don't like kneeling down for so long. Um, yeah. And so if you maybe, you know, if you're, if you're a bit older and you've got kind of problems with your knees or your back or et cetera, it can be really useful for just holding it, you know, like a, like an old uh, kind of twin lens camera down by your, by your, yeah, um, that's right. your, your exactly. tummy and then being able to look down, you can still get a slightly different angle on it. Um, but instead of having to like lean over yourself, I think that's, it's, it's kind of quite a nice marketable little, um a feature i suppose as well but i, yeah. I do I do use it a fair amount and I, I think they can be kind of quite useful for as you say st- if you're in you know strange positions or strange poses and you like you and when, when the birds hide you can't really move that much without rustling or disturbing something i think it's very yeah. very useful yeah they are useful i think um I, again i think it's if you can use your proper viewfinder to take the photo that will help you, you know, get more stability and stuff. But if your camera's on a tripod anyway, then it is extra yeah. useful to pop that screen out, I think. Definitely. Yeah. Well, you actually, it kind of leads on to a very good point because the, the next feature I wanted to talk about, and you could probably then say what you prefer is difference between electrical uh, viewfinder and an, an optical viewfinder. What, what would you prefer? Uh, okay. <laughs> I prefer the optical. Um because I prefer to see what I'm going to get without it changing. See, with, with the electrical viewfinder, when you change your aperture and your shutter speed, it gives you that real-time update, so it, it either brightens it or darkens it in the electrical viewfinder, um, which I find actually really off-putting, because then I forget to look at my histogram. Yes. And the problem is with the electrical viewfinder is that I've set the brightness quite high because that's the best setting for me to be able to see through the viewfinder but then that makes me think that my image is actually more overexposed than it is yeah and I find that really really frustrating and then I can't really turn my electrical viewfinder down in brightness because it it's not really that great a quality then so I just find knowing if I had the screen like you do in the optical viewfinder and I know that it doesn't change when I change my um, aperture and shutter speed. Then I remember to check my histogram more. Yeah. So, um, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I agree with you because I'm sitting here thinking that I, I've noticed times um, on top of that because it's electrical. I mean, it depends somewhat with the age of the camera and I'm, I'm sure it'll get better in time. But there's the micro smallest amount of lag between what is actually happening and what you see through the electronics um because it's got to take that little bit of time to render which is microseconds but in photography that is that you know that's your shot gone old you know whatever it could be so i i do i fully agree i think there's also benefits of uh battery life um from what i've seen anyway you know not just in necessarily um sony cameras because i've seen it on fuji's as well that um battery life is just eaten away by um, electronic viewfinders because it's taking so much power and energy to you know run the whole camera but as well as the screen but yeah you're right I, I like to be in control of the, um, the the exposure but also not get distracted by you know thinking oh it looks brilliant you know in there and as you say maybe your screen set too bright and you're actually getting a bit of a false economy when you get it home put it on the computer and you're like hang on why is this like half a stop underexposed to here as well it looked great in the camera so yeah I'm I'm, I'm a fan of them and I can see the benefits but I don't think the technology yet matches the expectations no I think um they are getting better and I I can see it between the two models of um 
Sony cameras that I've got, just by the two models, I can see the difference. Yeah. But I think at the moment, I think you have to go for a high-end one to get a really good electronic viewfinder. And I, I, I'm guessing that most people don't have that sort of money. So yeah, affordable cameras at the moment aren't quite there yet, I don't think. Yeah, I say, and I, I don't think, well, I mean, the last kind of high-end that I used, I mean, it, was, it was a few years ago, um, but we're talking like kind of Canon 1DX um, and they yeah. didn't have them. They, they, they were all yeah. um, opticals. So yeah, I'd be interested to actually kind of research a bit further and see what the top end ones actually yeah, kind of now. do. Yeah, because whether yeah. they, I'll say whether they've abandoned it or whether they just not embraced it, um, whether it's just a, a thing that's more for mirrorless cameras, I, I don't know. Um, I you know, think they that's are a definitely um, used a lot more in mirrorless cameras. I just find them also, I mean, I don't actually wear glasses for sight. I wear glasses for um, light sensitivity, but for actually seeing, I, I've got quite good eyesight. But I find it really hard to focus through the EVF. And I don't know whether that's just because it's not as sharp as an optical mm -hmm. um, viewfinder, or well, my, my camera anyway. Um, so yeah, there are things to think about, I think. If you're doing very specific, um, small detail work, it can be, I think it can be a bit more tricky on an EVF. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's there's the little diopter as well on the side of your of your OVF as well, which I think you yeah. can compensate depending upon your your kind of your vision. Um, yeah, you can. I think that's kind of quite useful. So yeah, so maybe it's a case of looking out more for for the optical viewfinders until the technology of EVF kind of catches up. Really, um, mm. along with that kind of technology, we we just talked touched on battery life briefly during that, but that's something again that. I, I tend to look at in cameras. I don't know if you ever do it, you know, if I've, if I've been looking at like comparing two cameras, battery life is one thing um, I really, really kind of hang on. Do you, do you look at that much? Um, it's not a make or break deal for me, um, that the battery life, to be honest. I, I just buy more batteries if I need to. But um, <laughs> I, think, I think in certain types of photography, your battery life is really important. Um, yeah. Like a couple of weeks ago we had really bad weather here and um, and it went below minus and my camera just died like wow, really the, ba the battery just died so I do think if you're working in um really harsh wintry conditions yeah battery life's really important because it just drains certain batteries um so maybe if you're used to working in the snow or anything like that that is definitely something to look out for it, yeah you're right I mean in first it's a valid point I know we've written about it before in blogs and courses and eye photography that um but yeah the, the cold weather can reduce battery life even by like up to half I mean that's quite yeah. extreme I imagine but still to be able to reduce it to that degree um is crazy so so yeah I mean it depends upon what type of kind of camera that you have but I would say a general DSLR should be able to kind of pump out 400 images um yeah. or so on one battery it, it depends i suppose like you say you know how you're going to use it you know if, if you're a wedding photographer of like yourself um working in wildlife or in sport where you know you're going to be taking a lot of shots even just on one day then yeah you, you want to make sure you've got a bit of a workhorse in terms of your battery because you could like you yeah. say, end up having, you know, five or six batteries as backup. Um, but you don't want to be going out with a camera that's only going to be kind of getting you maybe 200 shots per battery. Well, yeah, definitely. You'd have loads. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah. I, I it, think, it's... yeah, we say it was like the wedding photographers. It, it, it's good to have a good battery. 
um, when I used to do weddings, I'd only use two batteries in one day. Yeah. And I think that's that's pretty good. But then I wouldn't turn my camera on and off. I would mm. just leave it and it would go into like standby. Yeah. Um, and so my battery was still working in the background. But um, I found that because of the type of photography it was, I didn't want to have to wait for my camera to turn on and that. So it was just left yeah. on all the time. So yeah, that's another thing to think about if you're leaving it's... the camera on all the time. Um, I know definitely with my Sony now, um, the startup time is a lot longer than my DSLR was because that was wow. instant, whereas this is electrical. It's, yeah. And like you say, it's only microseconds, but you do notice it. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I fully agree. And I turn it on and like mine's now is slow and it's, it's a couple of years old now, just as a small mirrorless. And it's like, right, come on, come on, wait. And then it's like two <laughs> seconds, but two seconds in photography is forever. Um, is. But you're yeah. so right. I, you know, if I'm out for a day and I've got my camera with me, then yeah, I probably, I wouldn't turn it off because yeah. it actually, maybe not a lot of people know this, but it takes a lot of power to start up the whole machine because yeah. it's like starting your car. Um, but yeah, I, I really wouldn't. Yeah, I think you benefits from just leaving it on and just say let it go into standby you can change the standby setting so it can go into like a sleep mode um, earlier or longer but at least you know the power yeah. is pretty much instant really isn't it once it wakes up yeah I, I definitely think it's faster on the dslr yeah there is a yeah. little lag on mirrorless um, yeah and like I think, say, it's not long, but it does feel like a long time. <laughs> it does. Yeah, I imagine like when you're, I say, if you're waiting to get that shot of that bird or whatever it is that's coming into frame, you're like, start, quick, 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 quick. Yeah. Um, it can be mega frustrating, but um, I'll move on because, yeah, I imagine we could talk about that forever. This is the next point that I think you do use a lot from what I've, or even from what I've obviously seen in your wildlife course, um, back button focus, BBF. Um, oh, yeah. You're a big, yeah. big fan of it. I am, yeah. I wasn't always, um, but I am now, and I don't think I could go back to shooting conventionally. Once you get hooked on it, it's it is good. I think it takes a little while to get used to. Um, do you do you want to explain what it is? Just I was just going to say, would you mind just yeah for the benefits of anyone who's who's not used it before, not heard of it, just give them a bit of an overview yeah. as to what it is. So basically, normally when you take a picture. Um, when you get your camera out of the box, it's normally set to take the picture with the shutter release button. So that's the button you push um, to take the photo. But that button actually needs to also focus as well as tell the camera to take the photo. So it's doing two commands. Whereas when you have back button focus, you're separating those two commands. So you're separating the button to focus and then a button to take the picture. Um, and Again, it's like microseconds, but just being able to separate those two commands can make your um, can make your camera focus faster because one button's doing one thing and another button's doing another thing. Um, but also, it just allows you to lock focus a lot quicker. So, if, for instance, you was waiting for a bird on a, a perch and you wanted to focus on the perch, then you could just focus and tap the back button and it would stay focused on the perch and then when the bird arrives then you take the picture um, or, or if the bird is flying and um, you can just keep tapping the back button focus and holding it down and it keeps refocusing um, so it's very clever I'm sure there's a lot more tech 
technical aspects to it than what I've said, but <laughs> I don't, that's well, that's it. You know, we don't you don't need to get too heavy into it because yeah, it's effectively yeah. yeah the basics of what it does. And I I've I used to use it um, in the studio with shooting portraits because it it stopped me sometimes from accidentally slipping. You know, because as you say, it's it's sometimes hard when you're you when you're not used to like certain cameras that have slipping uh on the shutter button you basically kind of got your finger half pressed uh, and maybe sometimes you just press on it a bit too much and you take the shot before yeah. you're ready at least with the back button you can just continually keep focusing and then you know that once you press that button that's taking the shot and you're in control of yeah. it a bit more I, I found it very very useful I don't think my current camera's got it but yeah I do miss the I suppose it's just the nap, the way that you naturally connect with it, the way that your finger sits on the, your thumb, sorry, sits on the back of the camera anyway, just by holding it. Yeah. So it, it gives it a purpose, doesn't it? It's nice ergonomics, I suppose. That's the, the way they've designed it. Yeah, I suppose so. And I like on the, a lot of the newer cameras, you can change the button. So if it doesn't feel quite right in your hand, you can set another button on the back to do uh, that. Um, very so, useful. Yeah, like on mine, the one that it's generally assigned to is right next to the video record button. And I kept hitting record and I'm <laughs> mad. So I've just assigned it to one that's on the other side that's close to my thumb. Yeah. That's really nice if you can customize your camera to fit your hand and stuff. So that's really cool. It, it is really good. I've I've got exactly the same problem as Sony and I, I'm, I'm not trying to lambast them here, but they've got the record <laughs> button to the video literally where like the side of my palm sits and if I grip my uh. camera tightly, I'm, no fingers pushing it, but it just must be the, the, the weight of my hand actually on the yeah. camera puts it in record. And I'm like, I, the little record button then pops up in the viewfinder. It's like, well, I'm not doing a video. And it's just, it's so <laughs> annoying. But so yeah, annoying. that that comes down to like, uh, you know, you know, designers, isn't it really kind of interface yeah. designers? But I think but, that's a good point though, as well. When you are buying a camera, I mean, it's a bit difficult now, but if you could go into a camera shop, I always tell people go into the camera shop and pick it up because oh, yeah. they feel so different. Each camera feels so different. And you know, little things like that could really annoy you and make you fall out of love with your camera. So, you yeah. know, try and find something that does feel nice in your hand. And even like, um, I think Canon, they turn, the lens turns a different way to Nikon. It's like, everything's backwards on a Canon. Yeah. Like, people might say <laughs> well, that it's backwards on a Nikon. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, it just, oh, they work differently. So it's worth it definitely going and picking it up and having oh. a play with it. But fully agree. I, I said it so many times to people that the email us in and say, what camera should I buy? You know, it's it's a nigh on impossible question to answer. Yeah. But like, go go to a shop, pick it up, because it's it's like buying a house or a car, like whatever you choose may not be right for me, may not be right for somebody else. Yeah. So pick it up, feel what it looks like, you know, because everybody can take weight differently. The hands are different sizes. Yeah, exactly. When I bought my Sony, I had the full intent to go and buy an A7 when it came out um, and I picked it up and I hated the grip. I just thought it yeah. was horrible. And I was like, you know what? I went and ended up going with the different direction, like a cheaper model, um, because I actually quite liked the size of it, the form factor and the, the grip was really, really good. But yeah. on that one, it was just too shallow for the size of it. So yeah, yeah that's, that's literally what swung it for me uh, mm. above everything else after doing all the research search I've done all the comparisons knew that was all the features that I wanted picked it up didn't like it didn't buy it yeah that that's I think it, it's so important you're so right it's a, it's yeah. a very very and good I think tip especially for ladies um, generally we have smaller hands and going back to like the batteries you know if you wanted to extend your battery life you could put the battery grip on 
when I put the battery grip on my Sony, I literally cannot get my hand around it. It's just wow. too big. So that's another thing to consider. If you need a battery grip, yeah. um, definitely whack that on and see how it feels in your hand. Because it's just, if it's too big, it's not going to be comfortable and you won't be able to be out all day taking photos. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be, it'll hurt your hand after a while, you know, yeah. and you can get hot hand grips and wrist grips, etc. But if it's so heavy, you just like, you just lose the, 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 you know, passion to kind of pick yeah, the camera up and take a picture. You're like, oh my God, this just a waste to get in the bag and, and you know, I'll take pictures <laughs> on my phone. And I can see why phones are so popular in that way because they're yeah. just way more easy to get hold of. But yeah. um, I suppose this is this next point. Um, I maybe kind of got two more to talk about. One is about dual card slots. I know that's not going to okay. affect every camera in the world, um, but. I suppose, again, this is maybe reaching out more towards your level as a professional. Do you find that very useful? Um, yes, in some occasion. If I'm, if I'm doing something where I'm, I've travelled really far and I'm not going to really be able to go there again for a long time, then having the two card slots is great because if one packs up, if one of the cards decides to die, then at least I've got a backup. Um, I probably don't use my dual card slots as much as I should. Um, I think if you're a wedding photographer, then yeah, they're they're brilliant. Mm -hmm. I mean, who wants to? I I've been on a wedding and had a card fail. Um, oh, thankfully, shit. I'd only taken sixteen shots, and then it just oh. packed up. And so I was very lucky that it wasn't. Um, you know, I hadn't taken hundreds on it. But um, yeah, I think for things like that, that it's great. If you've got it, you should use it. Um, yeah but also i mean you could do things where one card is for raw and one card is for jpeg um yeah i was just gonna say as well yeah i was just yeah sorry just gonna say that like how how would you set it up would you basically do because i know when i've spoken to emily in the past um that she basically does duplicates so everything that's yeah. on one card gets back to the other but do you split it so jpeg goes on one raw goes in the other um I would actually duplicate as well, personally, um, because for me, I'm thinking more of if one card fails. Um, yeah. But maybe like if you were a photojournalist or something like that, it would be really handy to have the raw when you get home, but maybe have the JPEG to quickly download and yeah. send off to the newspaper or the, uh, whatever you're sending it to. Do we even have yeah. newspapers anymore? <laughs> <laughs> online, online newspapers. But yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. I think that's probably a very good example as to where, you know, have, yeah, having the separate JPEGs would be really, really useful if you've got to get it literally hot off the press and, and get it to print yeah. ASAP or, or, you know, if you just want to share a picture really quickly, because I think then you could probably, um, you know, Bluetooth it or wireless connect it to your phone yeah. and then get the JPEG sent over um, to your phone. I've done that on the, on the Sony's before. That's really handy. But as you say, yeah, it's just a, just a quick review, isn't it, really? But I think that's probably yeah. more a, a professional level. You start on talking when you're getting really serious about your work to have dual card slots. But it's, it's something yeah, to kind I, of look out for. It is. And I think people should always remember that this is technology and technology sometimes fails it's yes. not it's not fail proof um and so yeah if you're doing something really important it's worth spending the extra 40 50 quid or whatever to buy another card and just yeah it in. definitely um, yeah so the very last point I had, and again, this is all subjective, I suppose, most definitely this one, um, is about weight. 
I think we, we kind of talked okay. about it very briefly when, when about handling cameras as well. But I think it's one thing that's worth considering, um, you know, when buying a camera, because everybody's idea of what is heavy and what is light is, is subjective, isn't it, really? But yeah, how, how important is kind of getting something that's, you know, the right kind of weight, you know, the right kind of you know form factor and comfortableness for you is, do you think it, it, it kind of, I suppose, I don't know what the negative necessarily can be, you know, it can it can put people off you know if they've got a really big heavy camera big lens etc and if they have an injury you know they have carpal tunnel or something like that then you yeah. may think oh, you know I can't be bothered picking all this camera up as well so maybe thinking not say thinking ahead necessarily because you can't foresee those things coming really but you know getting something that's right for you and not necessarily going for the heaviest camera and thinking it's the best because it's not necessarily yeah. is it no I think you're totally right and I've I've met a lot of people that just don't use their cameras because they're like oh it's too heavy I don't want to carry it all day um you know I'm going on a hike with my friends and I don't want to carry the camera it's too heavy I'll just take my phone like you said before yeah. and I think that's such a shame you spent all this money on a camera and you don't want to use it because it's too heavy but that does happen quite a lot and um, so definitely weight is a big is a big thing to consider yeah um, I think I think they did try to address this when they bought out bridge cameras um I don't know what you think to this. I think bridge cameras was to try and bridge that gap between the compact and the DSLR and yeah, yeah, like a super zoom with these bridge cameras. But unfortunately, they just they're just not very good quality. No, I I, I think I, I say I think I had one because they they always felt so vanilla that you never knew what was a bridge what was a compact. They yeah. kind of all came the same, and then mirrorless came in, and then I was like well, hang on, aren't they just like bridge cameras? Do they, they kind of look the same? And then it was like more about the technology inside of them. So yeah, I never really yeah. got to grips with it, but I think it was just a short-lived phase maybe in the market that was just a bit, a, an attempt, you know, to, I just yeah. like you said, bridge the gap. I think they, I think they were trying to target maybe the older people. I know a lot mm. of old people have them because they are lighter, but they can still have the Zoom yeah um, but but you know that comes with a lot of downfalls in that the zooms are so slow at zooming out yeah. um but anyway that's another subject I suppose. <laughs> no no I think, I think you're totally right as well because I think on the the converse side that you know the inverse converse side I can't think of the right word um <laughs> the flip side to it basically if what you were saying about having uh what I sorry what I was saying about having a heavy camera doesn't necessarily mean it's a great camera even a light camera doesn't mean it's an awful camera yeah. you know I, I you know look at weights and you may think of it as like oh that was really light that's probably not as good it doesn't mean you know necessarily a bad thing it could just be it's very very well designed and it's got all yeah. the, the functions it needs and it's compact as well so so I would always recommend people to look at all the specifications but don't linger so much on you know thinking you know heavy is good light is bad yeah. like we said before go and pick it up and feel what it's like in your hand consider also then it's got to have a lens on which then may be bigger lenses therefore they're heavier lenses so see maybe if you can go into the shop and try a couple of different lenses on just to kind of get the idea of how heavy it could potentially be in the future yeah. uh, obviously as well as how it feels in the hands um but yeah that's really important i mean i did that when i went over to Sony because I basically went mirrorless uh, one of the reasons was the weight um when I'm going out to Kenya or South Africa and you've got a lug around 20 kilos on your back um it's a lot it is yeah. a lot to, to carry around um so I was thinking if I can make this bag lighter that'd be great 
but in actual fact when I got into the shop and the body was much lighter but when I put the lens on there was hardly any difference whatsoever because wow. the lens is so well it's the similar size to the other one um so yeah don't be fooled by thinking mirrorless is lighter yeah um, the, the bodies are lighter but the lenses are just about the same <laughs> I, I, I think that's it that's like the compensation almost that you look at it and think oh it is you know small and different and lightweight it's brilliant but yeah you forget you've got to put your lens on it and yeah, now the lenses yeah. are getting better the the glasses are getting better packing more glass into it you say the, the weight almost ends up somewhat the same to some degree but yeah. uh, that's brilliant. I mean, that that's kind of quite a few different things that we've walked through there. So hopefully if you're listening to this podcast, you, you've kind of got yourself a bit of a better idea of some of the technologies, some of the features that are available on lots of cameras these days that are very, very, very useful and things maybe to watch out for that probably aren't as good as maybe what, you know, the marketing teams of them say, um, really. But, you know, if there's, if there's any other features that anybody who's listening has found very, very useful in their camera, um, then get in touch. Let us know. You can kind of email us. You can find us all over the social medias um, and just get in touch and, and drop us a message if you want to as well. And obviously, again, if you've enjoyed this podcast, um, check out all the other ones. You'll find Rachel and myself chatting away on lots of other different topics. And I'm sure there's a lot more to come. Yeah, um, can I just put one? Tip oh, yeah, go for it. One thing I find really helpful is to not read all the pro reviews of these cameras, but go onto YouTube and find a normal person who's done a review on it in the real world what mm -hmm. it's really like to use this camera as a normal person i find those reviews really helpful when it comes to buying cameras so yeah and um, just type in the camera model into youtube and see what comes up and watch watch a couple of videos that's cool. yeah that's right don't 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 just go for the popular one just you know have a look maybe a couple of different opinions as well because sometimes yeah. and i'm not saying i'm not going to certainly name names because you know i'm, I'm not know this for sure but some people are paid to do these reviews exactly. as well um, exactly. so not to yeah. say that they're being biased in any way but you've got to maybe not say expect an element of it in a way really I mean some people yeah. are very honest but yeah watch watch a few reviews definitely yeah. I, I fully agree with that but um, but yeah I mean from our basis we have just five star reviews I'm sure on our podcast <laughs> everybody loves this and if you want to watch more I say there's there's tons more um, podcasts that we've done in the past there's there's certainly more to come we we, we bring out pretty much a new one every week really um yeah. so yeah if you want to check out more then keep getting in touch if you want to have a look at more about eye photography we've got now a dedicated page for all our kind of different courses and offers that we've got running on so if you go to iPhotography.com uh, forward slash uh, podcast you can find out any kind of current offers for our courses on our products um but i just want to say thank you again very much uh, rachel for, for popping on and, and having this little chat it's, it's been really really good fun it's been very yeah, insightful excellent yes yeah, good fun as always thank you Stephen. you're very welcome well thank you so much for listening anyway and hopefully we'll catch you on the uh, next episode from myself and from rachel we'll say goodbye goodbye